0: Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery, and partisan hyperbole. I'm Dr. David Hopkins, humanities professor, your host and guide, so without further delay, let's get started. For today's episode, I want to take on an important topic that I actually was interviewed way back pre-election by a YouTuber that runs a YouTube channel named Shifting Culture. Again, that Shifting Culture. If, so if you're a conservative, leaning, open-minded, he takes on all kinds of highly contentious issues and doesn't shy away at all from his opinions. I recommend that you check out his channel on YouTube. Our discussion was interesting, and I felt it was worth some time now that the elections have blown over to go over the topic of a color revolution again, especially post-election, and explore, first of all, what it is and how the concept was developed. And then finally, is the idea of an actual civil war or revolution even something that could happen in the United States of America today. From the Roman Republic to its empire stage, through the American Revolution, French Revolution, even Adolf Hitler, the rise of Stalin and Castro and communist China, revolution is a fact of life in human civilization. Recently, I have noticed online this proliferation of the idea of a color revolution in the United States. If you're not familiar with the term color revolution, the CIA and other NGOs, and when I say NGO, I'm basically just saying non-government organizations, have actually deployed this model in an attempt to destabilize and even overthrow regimes and governments. Now, you might say, no way, our government would never do anything to destabilize or overthrow another country like like this i mean, it, i to say that is just ridiculous well i would respond by saying uh, yeah maybe it's time that we wake up And we smell the coffee in this country because if you think our country, as well as China, Russia, and any other hosts of these non-government organizations looking for profit or power or control, would not attempt to overthrow or at least destabilize a regime or a government, well... I would ask you just simply to look at the idea of a color revolution in some of the samples that that where this has been deployed. This is not a theori- theoretical idea. It is one that has been used in the past. And the concept is alive and well. And when you see it, I think you'll understand it. So color revolutions are one of the newest models, actually, of state destabilization, especially in the age of Internet. They allow external actors to plead plausible deniability when they're accused of illegally interfering in the domestic affairs of any other sovereign state. And their mass mobilization of people power renders them very effective in the eyes of the global media. Additionally, The conglomeration of large numbers of civilians protesting the government also increases pressure on that government and limits its options in effectively dealing with that ongoing destabilization. So it works. It has worked in the past. All color revolutions closely follow a a similar template, and we're going to go over the pillars of a color revolution here in a little bit. And understanding the nature of this applied tactic of destabilization, it actually allows states to craft suitable countermeasures against it. So this is a well-known idea for those trying to use a color revolution to destabilize, but also those regimes that are in power, they're they're very well aware of the tactics that can be deployed. So the vast number of these active, on-the-street protesters, which become critical to make this work. Many may not even be aware that their activities are being orchestrated by a higher power, whether it be an NGO or some other foreign government. Rather, most of them, as a result of a heavy-handed information campaign promoting the destabilizing ideology, whatever that ideology may be, have truly been led to believe that their actions are spontaneous and natural and that they would represent the inevitable progress that all areas of the world are bound to experience sooner or later. The average person many times is completely oblivious as the puppet masters kind of pull the strings on this. And that's why this podcast is important and that's why all of us should be aware of the things that make these work. So the ideology of the individual over the collective, the social aspect of any liberal democracy, empowers each and every protester to feel that they are making a unique and a significant impact in bringing about change. We've just went through one of the most heated and contested elections in American history. As of this podcast, President Trump has still not conceded and still has pending lawsuits. I'm reserving all judgments on this until the courts play this out. Our Constitution has legal remedies on contested elections. And to speculate like the hyperventilating media of, this is all a Trump conspiracy to steal the election... Or from the right, Venezuela, China, George Soros stole the election through coordinated strikes on the elections. Look, look, my opinion on this means nothing. Your opinion on this means nothing. The propaganda machines on cable news definitely mean nothing. So I'm content right now to simply sit back, wait, and if they bring forth the evidence, Trump may still win. If they don't, he won't. I would choose to have full faith, a little faith, or no faith in the system. But in the end, what I want, what I hope, and what I think at this point is irrelevant. I've cast my vote. All I can do is all I can do. So I leave it all alone and definitely never let anyone in the media or some theory on this, that, or the other sway you. I'm just going to wait for the legal conclusion to everything it appears Joe Biden's going to win. But until everything's exhausted, everything's certified, and there's a new president in office, quite frankly, thank you very much. Until that time, I'm not even going to let any of this impact me in any way, shape, or form. But let's get back to this idea of the color revolution. Sorry I had to go off on that little tangent for a second. So the color revolution method is actually incredibly simple, And it's it's ancient. Of course, the tactics now in our Internet age are very different. But basically, all a color revolution hopes to do is to instigate and manipulate a frenzied mob or a frenzied group of people around very simplistic demands to accomplish whatever geopolitical goal they're intended. Maybe it's outing a president. Maybe it's an overthrow of a full government. Maybe it's just to create dissension and chaos. Maybe it's to provoke war. The term color often refers to how a single color symbol or slogan or a demand is oftentimes just promoted and repeated over and over and over again to inflame passion and retard reason. We see this from our politicians we see this in our media. They'll get on a little stick of one way, one thing or another, and they'll just keep repeating it over and over and, over and 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 over again until eventually they just hope people just accept it as fact. And that's basically where you get this term "color revolution": a single color, a single symbol, a single slogan. So the map of successful revolutions using this model includes the Rose Revolution. Back in the the country of Georgia, 2003, the Orange Revolution in the Ukraine in 2004. And going even back earlier, 1986, the overthrow of Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines, whose banner was yellow. These and other cases, and you can search these on Google all over the place. I mean, it's, they're not hidden. They're not, uh, things that you're going to get flagged for looking at. They're just, they're just facts on revolutions that have happened. And they're very open. Uh, think tanks have been talking about these. Irregular warfare operatives talk about it to accomplish their objectives. And yes, these do include our government and CIA and other powerful influencers globally. We're not saints and we're not victims here in this country in the United States. We know this works and we've used it ourselves. Of course, we would never admit to such things in public... But hey, with our government today and the corruption in D.C., none of this that we attempt to influence foreign governments and regimes uh, through any means necessary, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised about this any longer. So just for fun. Let's run through the steps or the pillars of a color revolution. Then you can decide if you see all of these characteristics or some of these in play in America today. Now keep in mind, when governments become corrupt, like our RNC and DNC and politicians, quite frankly, in general, these characteristics do not necessarily mean outside actors have caused the problems in America the Roman Empire, for example, collapsed almost equally from external wars and external pushes on them, as well as it did from internal corruption and decay. So take all of this with a grain of salt. But if you or if anyone wanted to overthrow our government, here are things that have been used and can be used to cause it. So here we go. Here are The seven pillars of a color revolution. The first thing that must exist is that regime that is going to be overthrown. It has to be semi-autocratic. Meaning not fully autocratic like communist China or communist North Korea. There has to be an opportunity to call out and to go against incumbent leaders. You can call them fascists. You can call them racists. You can call them homophobic. You can call them any name you want. But it's really hard from the get-go to pull off any sort of a color revolution when there is an actual communist or an actual autocratic regime. Because, well, they can just flat-out kill put in jail, or erase any opposition that exists. Literally. In China, the Jasmine Revolution was a revolution that ran from February to March. Notice one month in 2011. It was very short-lived and it was killed rather quickly. So, number two, the second pillar. There has to be the appearance of an unpopular president or incumbent leader. So let's face it. Trump is a polarizing figure millions love him, think he's one of the greatest presidents of all time. Never in our history, if we think about it, has there ever been a president that could get potential voters and citizens to camp outside a venue in the thousands two or three days before he's going to show up and speak for an hour and a half. Heck, most politicians... They can't even fill a high school gymnasium or local cafe half the time. So there has to be a polarizing figure. On the one hand, Trump, there's people who love him, but equally there's others who they just despise Donald Trump as much or more than others love him. So surely in the in America today... With this current election, we definitely have this divisiveness towards the president. The third thing that has to be in place is there needs to be united and organized opposition. This one gets very emotional. On the right, and the those that are on the conservative side, believe there is a united and organized opposition. They take the various forms. Antifa, Black Lives Matter. They believe those may be the front. However... What I'm seeing actually published from the FBI, and Joe Biden mentioned this in a debate earlier this year, that so far there is no conclusive evidence of this organized opposition. And I will point you if you're saying, yeah, you don't even know what you're talking about. I'll point you to a document. If you Google search this, you can bring it up and read it for yourself. The FBI Strategy Guide Fiscal Year 2018-20 to and Threat Guidance for Racial Extremists. Antifa and the results were Antifa, it's not well organized. And they don't even know exactly many times what in the world they're after. Sometimes it's racial justice. Sometimes it's LGBTQ rights. Sometimes it's just, well, we hate Donald Trump type stuff. And, you know, sometimes they'll just show up at a, wherever Trump's going to be, and they'll try and organize and counter-protest. It, it doesn't seem they're well organized, nor do they have a coherent message of exactly what they want, except, well, burn the whole thing down. So that's a problem with trying to, at that third pillar, finding this. But at, the, at this point, I do, I sadly have to say, I am unsure even now of FBI or CIA are they actually serving the people of this country? Are they are they apolitical? Or are they now more like the Praetorian Guard in the end days of the Roman Empire, where they were basically orchestrating who was going to be president or who was going to be the next emperor? I fear that these organizations now in the United States are more about power and influence than ensuring the safety of America. I sure Sure hope my intuition is way off on this, but sadly, right now, with all that has happened, my trust is greatly eroded in the alphabet soup of government agencies that are supposed to protect and defend the American people. The fourth pillar that needs to be in place is there needs to be an effective system to convince the public way before the actual election itself that there's voter fraud. This one is really, really dicey, and the headline news are all over the place on this. If you look back to pre-election, we heard way before the elections, actually both parties claiming there will be fraud. So in effect, what are we to think of this now post-election? The Republicans said there would be fraud because of mail-in ballots, and the Democrats said there would be voter suppression. In essence, both parties set us up for distrust about a pending contested election no matter what. The rhetoric was divisive and was being used by both parties, and now here we are, a great mistrust of the results by the party that lost and a Nah, this is all valid. This is all good. All that other stuff is just all conspiracy theory now. Once again, these damn political parties, win it all, cunt, win it all, costs, country be damned, mantras, that were setting up a contested election even before the election had happened, and even before anything had even been counted. Ironic. That whether there was fraud or interference, the fact is both parties were sowing the seeds of distrust. They were laying the groundwork for a contested election way before the election started. And now, guess what? Here we sit. From a color revolution standpoint, we didn't even need an outside influence to sow the seeds of distrust in, in this election. Heck, the Democrats and Joe Biden did it. And Donald Trump and the Republicans did it. They did a great job of making sure that one side or the other wasn't going to trust the election. And of course, as out my team, their team mindset that's been embedded in so many Americans, if their side cheated and they won, oh well, we still won. And the other side isn't going to buy the election and saying, I don't care what happens. That new guy isn't my president. So dangerous, so, so dangerous, and we didn't even need an outside influence to do it. Both of these candidates did it on behalf if there would have been an outside influence. They didn't even need to do it. By the way, I just have to talk just a minute on voter suppression. The claim made by the left all the time. I I just don't get it. I never get it any more than when people say they forgot that their taxes were due every single presidential election all the time November 3rd. How in the heck can your vote be suppressed if you're an educated voter? You know the day. You know the process. You know the IDs. You know what to do. There's public service announcements 24-7 Online, on the news, on the radio, let your vote count, let your vote count. It's just like tax day is April 15th. I mean, who can suppress your vote if you're actually an informed citizen? Maybe, maybe I'm totally missing something. Maybe someone from the left who's constantly screaming voter suppression can let me understand that. Uh, because I would love to understand why in the world that mantra comes up. It's just, that's one I I struggle trying to get my my head wrapped around. But okay, let's get back on track to the to our pillars. Number five, you need a compliant media that's going to push that voter fraud narrative. This one's so simple for us. We don't have a media anymore. We have propaganda machine, and so we don't just have a compliant media. We have a little weasel bend over backwards baby media. So, wow, this one uh, makes perfect sense. Do you know in 2020, I just saw some numbers on this. It's been estimated, this was Pew Research said, that over $20 billion with a B was spent on this election with $6.6 billion on the presidential election. Also, the propaganda machines on the left and the right Oh, I mean, you know, the mainstream media, sorry. They exclusively are pushing these narratives and never bring news. So with such a pushover, wimpy media, achieving this aspect of the color revolution is so simple. As the mainstream media machine, they are complete team players for whatever the political party narrative might be. Pillar number six, political opposition organization Able to mobilize thousands, if not millions, into the streets. Surely we have seen it this year. Americans have a history of demonstration and they can get thousands in the street nationwide pretty easily, even in the middle of a pandemic. We have seen so many demonstrations from protests against police brutality, Black Lives Matter, to even Trump supporters numbering in the hundreds of thousands protesting just a few weeks ago in Washington, D.C. over the election issues. So that one's really easy. Pillar number seven, division among the military and police. You know, in revolutions globally, there becomes a schism at some point between the police and the military or different factions of the military against other factions, which could cause them to collide in armed conflict against each other. Or maybe it could just simply be a break between the elected government and the military forces who will forcibly remove or forcibly put someone new into power and the military chooses who's gonna run the government. So those are the seven pillars of a color revolution. Did you recognize any of them? I just want to recap, just from my perspective, what I see. The first pillar do we have a semi autocratic regime? Absolutely, yes. So we can check that box. We do have a semi autocratic regime. We are a democracy and There is a choice every two years, every four years, every six years at varying levels of government of who is going to be in power. So that one's an easy one. Pillar number two, do we have an unpopular president or a contentious president or a one that definitely, uh, brings about a lot of seeds of dissension. And I would say absolutely, yes, we do. As I've said, when it comes to Donald Trump, it's more of a love him or a hate him mentality. Number three, the third pillar, a united and organized opposition. Hmm, maybe, could be. And remember here, we are talking about a united revolutionary group, not like Trump Trump lovers group or Trump haters group, but a revolutionary group. I would have to call this one a maybe. I don't think we're to the point yet that we can say any of the organizations that exist out there fall into that category that they literally want to topple the regime. If any comes as close to that, it's probably Antifa because Antifa has stated goals literally bringing down the country. They tended to side with Biden this time just because they either one, they just despise Donald Trump, or two, maybe they believe they can get more of the things they want in the long run with Biden. Who knows exactly when it comes to Antifa? But I would I would categorize pillar number three as a maybe. And then number four, there needs to be an effective system to sow seeds of election fraud. Check. I mean, I would say, yes, we do have this. We had both parties that were sowing the seeds of election fraud well before the elections happen and it's it's funny to watch it play itself out because of course since it appears Trump's going to lose what's made one of his main things he's been saying see I told you so I told you there was going to be election fraud and what does Biden say ah no there was no election fraud these were fair and honest elections now imagine though if the if the shoe was on the other foot Let's say Trump wins at the same rate that Biden is projected to win right now. Trump would have literally come out and said, Oh, yeah, these elections were completely fair and honest. There was no cheating going on there. And what would have Biden said? Oh, I told you this voter suppression. The the voice of the citizen and the voter will never be heard again. Donald Trump completely doctored up this election. They both would have done identically the same thing. But how dangerous, how utterly dangerous for our two political parties, yes, RNC, yes, DNC, you dirty dogs, you dirty dogs, allowing that stuff to happen and allowing where we're at to happen for your own need for power. It's so sad, but we didn't need an outside influence. We had two corrupt political parties that sowed those seeds of election fraud from day one. Number five, a compliant media to push a narrative of voter fraud. Did we have that? Absolutely. Check box again. Turn on CNN, then turn on Fox. Both are pushing a narrative for completely opposite reasons. You could do this throughout the entire election cycle. A compliant media, a propaganda-pushing machine of a media. Uh, We surely have that in spades. Number six, ability to mobilize thousands to the street. Check yes again. Yes, we do. Americans have always done this. The country, and even right now, the country is edgy and it's anxious and it is willing to head to the streets on both sides. We have seen it happen. Pillar number seven, division between the military and police, or possibly even president being opposed uh, or overthrown by the military police. I would say at this point, wow, that's hard for for me to even go that far. I would say no. I don't see this yet. But as our alphabet soup of CIA, FBI, HSA, NSA, and, and all these other groups, they become more and more politicized. This becomes more and more plausible. So the seven pillars of revolution, in my opinion, of course, you may see things differently. I see five of these characteristics in play right now. And maybe one of these characteristics, a maybe, and then one that's no, not yet. This exercise wasn't for me to tell you what to think, but just to consider these pillars of revolution, that our government, that other non-government organizations that are insanely wealthy, and how other countries, if they want to create revolution, they will sow those seven characteristics at varying degrees. And you should be aware of them and watch how our society evolves. It could be all this strife in America is just our own internal changes. It is not uncommon for civilizations to get infected with these negative things. And it doesn't mean they can't overcome them and change. But it does mean that the democracy in the country as we know it can be put in danger. And it doesn't necessarily have to come from an external power that's pulling the strings making this happen, maybe, and just maybe, we're seeing these characteristics from our own design. Keep in mind, too, the CIA model is not designed to turn probably a country into a communist regime, but to turn it into a democracy. Much of what I see online of a color revolution written by conservatives of late, because you can see these characteristics, is almost insinuating The forces are trying to turn the U.S. into a communist or a socialist regime. Politicians, they actually get richer in a more capitalistic model, which lends to democracy more so than communism. Although you can argue the Chinese model is the despicably corrupt version of communism melded with capitalism. However, in America, if there is a color revolution, it may be more to turn it deeper liberal democratic than flat out install communism or socialism as still in America the vast majority probably would not to submit to socialism or communism this isn't to say that it couldn't happen in the future but right now the overwhelming majority seem to not be in favor of it as i conclude Things feel very, very uneasy right now. 2020 has been one of those years, uh, goodness, one of those years that, that I think all of us want to put behind us and the end of this year cannot come soon enough. Yet, we need to pay attention to all the drama around us without getting all swept away in it all. So here's to seeing through this election season and any and all court challenges being settled so the real winner wins as best that we can, as quickly as we can without anything near a revolution. So hopefully we can get back focused again on uniting the country and getting through this pandemic and back to those things important to our lives and to our community. But yet, I hope you pay attention to these things. We don't live in a vacuum. We shouldn't zombie walk our way through life. We need to be aware of things that are impacting our culture and how those things could have a long lasting effect on where we end up as a nation. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope you found a value in the topic. Who would have thought in America we would even need to consider this topic even just a few years ago, yet here we are. You know we don't need to live in fear, anxiety, or be a doomsday prepper, but still, let's be self-aware and perceptive of how governments and other organizations can try to control us. Remember, I generally publish new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So if you click like or follow, you'll be alerted when new episodes come available. Until the next episode, I hope you have a wonderful week.